Hello, and welcome to Lines from Loganberry, the official Loganberry Books podcast series. We are a local indie bookshop located in the historic Larchmere neighborhood of Cleveland, Ohio. With this podcast, we hope to stay connected to you as we weather the coronavirus storm together. Every week, we will help you discover new books, rave about our latest favorite reads, reveal niche stories about Loganberry, link you to local authors, ask some interesting questions about the literary world, and check in with our friendly bookstar cat, Otis. Join our listener support program, where you can donate as little as 99 cents a month, less than $12 a year, to help keep this podcast going. Go to our website, loganberrybooks.com, and follow our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts, all at loganberrybooks, to stay up to date and to find out how to best support us during these ever-shifting times. Thank you for listening, and enjoy. The Intellect and Inspiration Local Voices series seeks to engage and motivate the listener during these challenging times through the thought-provoking work of a local author. This week, Local Voices Manager Maisha Hedden interviews Dr. Luis Prochaska, Professor of Women's Studies and Theology at Notre Dame College and author of Ten Keys to a Happier Life, Unlocking the Riches in Positive Psychology, Neuroscience, and Ancient Religious Wisdom. Happiness is not just a moment of a spurt of enjoyment or sense pleasure. It's free. It doesn't cost a penny, but it's something you have to build into your life day by day. And it really changes your hormone system in your body. That's why we feel happy when we do something good. It creates the, the hormones that increase your immune system and give you a feeling of happiness and lightness and joy and the more often you do that the more you feel happy and actually increase your physical health. They discuss spirituality, how to build mindful meditative practices into our lives, and the role of community in happiness. Prochaska's workbook can be purchased at store.loganberrybooks.com with specific links in the description below. Louise, in the past few weeks, a police officer killed another unarmed black man in Minneapolis, and um, there have been days of civil unrest across the United States, mm-hmm. and people are pushing back against COVID-19, social distancing mm-hmm. recommendations, and I would say that there's almost like a crisis of unhappiness, and your mm-hmm. book is The Ten Keys to a Happier Life, so... First of all, can you just kind of talk to me about what is your definition of happiness? I would say that authentic happiness is a deep, it's a deep interior state of well-being, a sense of well-being that is, you might say, is um, deeper than the surface of unrest, of, uh, you know, loss, sickness, One of my friends said that what helped her the most when she took my class, and she was an adult student, she said, think of the ocean and a storm, you know, a terrible storm, tsunami, whatever, uh, blowing on the surface, 
But if you go deep underground, under the surface in the ocean, it's very calm and very, uh, you know, the, the fish are swimming around and they're, there's maybe light penetrating. So that's a good image for our own state of being. When we know who we are, we know what our values are and are living according to them, we know what our purpose is and are working to make the world better. When we nourish good friendships, even if it's two, it doesn't have to be 100 or 200 or 1,000. But two good friends, we take care of people we love or someone, even just a neighbor who is in need. That's, that's authentic happiness. It's not it's a pleasure. And it's not a moment of ecstatic uh, joy. So, Louise, one of the things um, that I admire about you is in your book, Ten Keys to a Happier Life, it's a workbook. So it is, yes. Mm-hmm. You are actually actively trying to help people attain a good life. Can you tell me a bit about your like your work with happiness? Like, what's it like to like teach these classes, and what inspired you to do it? What inspired you to finally say, you know, I want to move beyond just teaching the classes and actually write a book about this? Oh, okay. Well, that's well. I my you know my profession is uh, a theology professor, and that. Uh, that gives me a makes a living, but you know my students in my theology classes for 25 years never said, Dr. Prochaska, I love this book. I'm going to keep it forever. But the last course that I wanted to um, form, you know, or create for Notre Dame College was this course on happiness, and I got the idea from Dr. Laurel Santos, who who started it at Yale about three four years ago as a psychology professor. And I thought, well, I can, I can learn the positive psychology. I can study that. But I'm going to add the spiritual layer, the spiritual wisdom that supports mindfulness, gratitude, forgiveness, finding your purpose, um, kindness, so, and, and building relationships. So I, uh, I, I re- actually... Uh, planned the course as a one-credit course, which meant 15 weeks of one hour a week. That's all I had with the students. And I thought, well, I have to give them something in their hands so they do, they think about these practices. And actually, it's developing habits. It isn't just learning a fact that gratitude makes you happy. That does not make you happy. You have to practice gratitude to have it make you happy. So I, I um, uh, wrote, I composed about five or six pages, typed, you know, duplicated like a handout, and then came up with seven practices, one each day that the students are supposed to do. Well, more or less one each day. If they did it all at the end, that was their. And then write a reflection or write what they did and how it felt. So I... I mimeographed, you know, duplicated these. uh, It's like a lab manual for a a science lab, only it was a happiness lab. And that's what I used the first time I taught the course. But I also invited some of my colleagues at Notre Dame to sit in on it, on the course. And a couple of them had time to do it. 
So they took the course, and then they said, Louise, this is so important and good and helpful to us who are, you know, professors. Can you uh, design the course a little more, you know, the book a little more professionally, make it a book, and then offer it to adults? That's um, fantastic. So what I'm really interested in is that you have this scientific basis from happiness. Tell me about, like, why you said that, like, okay, um, we need to bring in spiritualism. Because I know that one of your keys to happiness is, you know, that you should, um, is that is belonging to Mm -hmm. a religious community. Mm, Well, that is, that actually, uh, uh, the research, the scientific research in positive psychology, and that's, you know, research psychology, they, they, they tried to find out what makes people happy rather than what makes people depressed and anxious and suicidal. And they asked people, uh, did surveys of thousands of people who, and asked for their level of happiness and what in their life brought them happiness. And they found through this, you know, uh, really objective survey that people who belonged to a faith community found ha- uh, were happier than people who didn't. Now, of course, people who didn't could also have good relationships and, and be kind. But they found that it wasn't the faith of the community. It wasn't you believe in God or the Blessed Trinity or, you know, uh, moral laws. It was the closeness with the people in the faith community who shared their values, they met, you know, they met regularly once a week at the church. They, um, if there, if a friend, a family member died, that faith community supported them. If they were celebrating a wedding or a birth of a baby, they could share that joy and their sorrows with people that were always there to be at their side and give them uh, spiritual advice and help them forgive a terrible, you know, um, tragedy in their life. So it was the, the closeness to, to a few good people who share your values and your beliefs. It isn't, it isn't the worship. It's the community togetherness. So then a lot of, um, we'll call them Western, a lot of many like, mm-hmm. Western religions um, yeah. are mm-hmm. suspicious of, meditation or so in your book you know it's sometimes you call it meditation sometimes you call it mindfulness and the Mm -hmm. whole idea of mindfulness and like centering yourself in this moment it's Mm -hmm. woven throughout your entire book so then I kind of want to ask you that you know as a professor of theology Mm -hmm. um, like how do you reconcile the practice practice of meditation with um, also like a religious sort of kind of standardized prayer practice? Prayer. Oh, good question. Well, actually, they're they're so close. Uh, Mindfulness practice is a form of meditation where you focus on breathing and relaxing the body and living, being aware of the the sensations in in this moment what you hear, what you feel on your skin. Uh, Usually your eyes are closed, but it could be, you know, watching a bird on a tree outside. 
that's being mindful, that is having your focus on what you feel, see, and experience in the present moment, not worrying about the past or the future. And that practice, as I described it, comes mostly out of Buddhism. Um, Prayer, as Christians understand it, Christians, Jews, and Muslims, we're the three religions that use the word prayer. We, and I'm a Christian, I'm a Catholic, so when I pray and even do mindfulness meditation, I'm in communion with God. I'm trying to communicate to God, of, you know, the, the, my ultimate being. And I weave in the meditation practice. For example, I will breathe in, instead of just breathing in air, I'm also breathing in God's love, which is everywhere. It's not in heaven. It's not in a church. It's everywhere. So I'm breathing in, in divine love and when I do, uh, when I send that love out, I, I might think of George Floyd's family, and I send that love to his family to try to comfort them. If I were a Buddhist, I would use the sense of merit. Merit in Buddhism is the love of human beings spread around the world that can be sent anywhere I want it. So as a Buddhist, I would breathe in the love of the universe and send that love to George Floyd's family. As a Christian, God is present in all of that. I don't even have to use the name God, but I know that I'm in the presence of the divine being when I'm doing this. Yeah, That's, it's, that's really good. I mean, I know for me, um, because I'm a Christian as well, and like in my own meditative practice, I mm-hmm. like try to tap into um, the things that Hildegard of, Benjen talked about that like yeah. she always kind of always talked about trying to like approach God and there's yeah. the magic that happens as you get closer and closer to him and I also like the um the imagery because he's always elusive like you never really quite get, get there you, know? <laughs> you approach you him but so then I use meditation to let him know that I am coming right yes yes you know what I just I wrote a poem the other day at my meditation time I do kind of Buddhist meditation, and then it flows into whatever. Can I read you my poem? It's very short. Oh, please. That would be amazing. Okay. It's, uh, it's called The Game Goes On. Presence is a reality. Absence is an assumption when we can't see with our eyes, when we can't hear with our ears, when we can't touch with our fingers. But God is truly present, only present, as our loved one's grace, and infinite love. So God is hidden, so the Bible says. But God, you cannot hide because I know where you are. Ha, gotcha. You're it, precisely. God is it. The game is over. I win. Ha, ha, but you win. And the game goes on. Louise, I love that poem. I love that poem. Thank you so much for sharing it. It, you know, uh-huh. God is everywhere, but you cannot touch God because if you could, it wouldn't be God. It would be something I think, you know, that I think I grab. So, uh, and that's the, in a way, it, that bleeds into Buddhism because Buddhists say we can't prove there is a God or there isn't. So let's, let's work with what works. When you're relaxed and living in this moment, 
you are healthier, you are happier, you can make the world better and more peaceful, you can help every living being, and the the deeper your your presence is in this moment, the more powerful is your presence in the world to make it uh, healthier, healthier in spirit, social, you know, I don't mean just mean physically healthy. That's why I had to put in spiritual, the spiritual wisdom in the book because um, we're whole people, we're spiritual, mental, emotional, physical beings and uh, the resources on happiness aren't just from positive psychology. That is 20 years old. That does not mean that gratitude didn't make any sense before 20 years. Ancient religions, ancient religious writings said gratitude is essential. In fact, somebody said, one saint said, or, you know, gratitude is the essence of worship. You don't have to do anything except be grateful, and that's, that's authentic worship. And I, I know that um, gratitude um, is one of your keys to happiness. Yeah. So I, I like mm-hmm. this idea that you're talking about, like, being healthy and spreading health into the world. Mm-hmm. So in the book, you talk about spreading kindness, mm-hmm. um, nurturing relationships with family and friends. Um, mm-hmm. You talk about that tricky balance between balancing social media and face-to-face mm-hmm. engagement. So mm-hmm. what advice are you giving to the people around you about doing those things that connect us to one another during Mm -hmm. this (laughs) pandemic, during a time of coronavirus? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, you know, the, the, the virus, the pandemic forces us to do those practices in different ways. It doesn't stop us. For example, People who are living in, in this pandemic, we are um, worrying about, am I going to get it? Is my loved one going to get it? How are we going to ever survive? How are we going to get back to business? What, what they're doing is they're projecting bad events in the future instead of living in this moment and doing what I can in this moment. Um, how many people have stationery in their house anymore? Nobody. You can't even buy it. But take a piece of, uh, you know, copy paper, write a letter to someone that you haven't talked to for a while or that you can't see. Write a letter to your, I don't know, your cousin who lives on the other side of town, but you're afraid to go visit her or him. Write it by hand and share your love and your maybe a, a memory of your past as kids and mail that letter with a, um, I don't know, with draw a picture on it or have your kid, if you have a child, draw a picture and send a, this picture to your, your neighbor or your relative. Uh, what's another one? Uh, write a thank you note to your doctor. How many people write thank you letters to their doctors? They just, you know, bitch when they, excuse the expression, when they get their bill. Write a letter <laughs> to your doctor or your vet. Your vet who's taken care of your dog, you know, many years. I know people have, you know, three generations of dogs that go to the same vet. We don't think to do that. Be especially no, kind. No, no. And, you know, and there's, yeah. something, there's something very, very special 
about yeah. being the recipient of a yeah. handwritten letter. It really is. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, I work at Logan Berry, and I was going through this some old book, and yeah. I found a letter in there from uh, obviously some sort of like teenage boy to his sister who was um, at Northwestern, and she he was just like mm-hmm. telling Aww. him like how he was like what was going on at camp. And I was thinking, uh-huh. like, oh, my goodness, if I could locate either one of these people, I know that Ooh, this letter from either one of them would be, like, worth gold. Oh, wow, yes, 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 indeed. <laughs> so I love that, that idea of, like, going back to good old-fashioned, like, letter writing. That is wonderful. Right. And just so people yeah, know, if you're looking for stationery, we still carry stationery in Loganberry books. <laughs> you do. Make your own. Yes, you know, we make do. Your own. You do. Thank you, because I didn't know that. I had to order it. I don't like to use it. I don't know. I don't like to make Jeff Bezos any richer. But anyway, I got it from Amazon, and it's very pretty, you know, with Chinese uh, de- decor on it. But make your own stationery. Put little flowers or write a little uh, love you, thank you, all around the edge, and then write your letter in, in, in it. And the, the more personal it is, the more meaningful and the receiver is going to hold it in their hand and kiss it or maybe cry and show it to their, you know, people at home, show it to their neighbor and keep it forever. That's, um, we don't save emails. At least I don't. No, you don't. I might print it out. Mm-hmm. I might print it out. I printed out a couple. But who does that? You know, we're just too busy. We're too busy to do that. So we don't. And it, it gets lost in the shuffle and uh, having kids write uh i sent some um a friend of mine came over to help me with my deck his name is george and he has uh you know two or three grandchildren so i picked some uh some of my lily of the valley that were in the back of the house and i sent them home in two little vases for his two daughters and their kids and each of them sent me a hand a little picture that they drew and a coloring book that the four-year-old colored and sent them to me as thank yous. And then I wrote thank you cards to them. Now that's teaching a six-year-old and a four-year-old to be grateful uh, to somebody who sends their mother flowers, you know, some flowers right. from the back teaching, It's teaching them gratitude. Yes. And it's also yes. teaching them the art of connection and I think you know this is part of what you're talking about in your chapter on social media that you know we're constantly tweeting at each other and responding to each other's tweets but there is the sort of missing art of cultivating and deepening um, social relationships Louise, you know what? I want to go on right now to ask you a few fun Loganberry questions Okay All right. So um, you've got a Ph.D. in um, theology, and also you wrote 10 Keys to a Happier Life, which means that Mm -hmm. you have done a lot of writing in your time. Mm -hmm. So tell me, what is your favorite writing location? Well, it is my my study, which is one of my bedrooms, and I painted it terracotta. Three three walls are terracotta orange, not bright orange, but a kind of a, you know, clay terracotta color. And I have artwork that I made and from people that I love. 
artwork that's very meaningful to me. So I'm surrounded by this. And I sit on a, a, an upholstered chair from my mother's house, and I will uh, have my notes for the, a chapter or for, you know, whatever I'm writing, on the floor, piled up in little piles of uh, topic piles. And then I make my, I sit on that chair and write my outline with the pile. You'll take one pile, make an outline. And then I, the hardest thing is the first sentence of a chapter or the first sentence of a, a, a blog or something. So I'll, I'll craft that sentence and then I'll walk over to my computer and type it out. And then I'll go back to the chair and uh, write the, you know, do a little outline of the next thing. So it has to be quiet, and uh, I, I work better in the morning, and uh, so that's my... Well, it sounds like you've designed a sanctuary for yourself. That is wonderful. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so we can continue on with this. All right. Um, okay. So what three people would you invite, living or dead, to the most what you consider to be the most spectacular dinner party ever. Oh, wow. Okay, here are my people. Marc Chagall. I love his paintings, and I love him as a person. I know he's deceased, but he was a deeply spiritual person, but kind of uh, mystical and imaginative. So I would invite Marc, and he would be able to speak English, or I could speak French or whatever that would work. I would invite Joanna Macy. You know, she's 80 years old. She's an American. She, um, she, her husband ran the Peace Corps when it started. And then she lived in Germany for a while and picked up a book by a poet she didn't know, uh, Renier Marie Rilke, and started translating his poetry for English-speaking audiences. And she's also a, an environmental advocate. She's very deeply committed to the health of the, the earth on which we live. So I definitely invite her. And then, I don't know this person's name, but in 1700 BC, there was a, a, a culture, a matrilinear culture on Crete, the Isle of Crete, the Minoan culture. And the power was passed on through the mother's line, bloodline. And they were an agrarian culture, peace, peaceful, very artistic. But they were wiped out by the uh, patriarchal, militaristic invaders. But I would love to talk the, uh, to them. Probably the uh, Athenians, right? Well, yeah, or some, some um, barbarian horde that, uh, you know, they didn't have any weapons, this Minoan agrarian culture. So when, when some other group came to take their land and they had no way to defend themselves. But I would love to talk to a woman who lived in that culture. I don't know the name. So those are the three, Mark Chagall, Joanna Macy, and somebody, a woman from Minoan Crete, 1700 B.C. E. Wow, I wish I could make that uh, that dinner party happened. I think I would. Uh, I think I'd love to be a fly on the wall for that one. Yeah, I'll I have a question that I think is uh, particularly um, apt for you. Um, okay. What are your highs and what are your lows? Well, my highs are just that dinner party. I love to invite five or six people, maybe four, around my dining room table 
and prepare a meal. I have a few recipes that are great winners. One is a Thai pumpkin soup. And they would be people like Joanna Macy or people who have, who have, you know, who have feelings and express their feelings and have some spiritual depth and are interested in the world, the natural world, uh, what's going on, you know, in the, in the real world. And, uh, that would be a high for me. Also making art. I love to do artwork in whatever medium I have around. Um, and one of my high points in my life has been doing a, like an art art retreat with Peter London. He, um, he taught art at Dartmouth, uh, University of Massachusetts, Dartmouth. And I've made several uh, retreats with him on art. One is like... Uh, being in nature and um so that's that was a high uh cuddling with my dog sparkle my my little uh, poodle who's now gone to poodle heaven my lows you know i I, that was a that's a hard question because i don't get low too often but one i get low when i think about the political climate today that's that's an angry low not depressed but angry um and when I can't make my computer do what I need to make it do, that can be low and wow. also angry. And I can. I think that's a low a lot of people are feeling with you these days. Yeah. That, that, <laughs> other than that, I don't. And then uh, last, last question, Louise. If there were yeah. a Cleveland Hall of Fame, <laughs> who would you nominate? Oh, okay. Well, uh, Sister Henrietta, she is she she died a few years, maybe ten, fifteen years ago. Um, but she was a sister of charity. She was a nurse, and she um, she really reactivated and rebuilt the whole Huff slum. She provided food, clothing, education, employment, health care. She really reactivated that whole area around East 68th and Quimby. And uh, she worked out of Our Lady of Fatima Church and uh, just was known all over the city. And there's even a little part of the street named after her. So she would definitely be in it. And then... Um, oh, that was a I, wonderful I, nomination because you wouldn't... I think it would, be, it would be a loss for Cleveland history for people... Oh, yeah. um, to not know her. That's a great nomination. Right. And then I remembered something about the street lamp or the, the street lights in Cleveland. So I looked it up, and Garrett Morgan was um, the son of a slave, and he moved to Cleveland. Um, I don't know. Where, where was he born? He was born in, uh, in Kentucky and very creative. He worked first at a, uh, uh, a clothing shop. And the needles were, you know, they, they were burning the fabric because they, they would have to work fast. The needles would burn the fabric and then start fires. So he figured out a way to stop, to make that, to prevent that. Then he developed a, um, a what is it, a, uh, um, a scuba gear. A, no, a safety helmet for, um, against fires and against smoke. And it saved uh, lives in the, the, some of the, um, 
tunnels under the, you know, under the lake and under the river when they were building tunnels and they would have gas leaks. And they were yes. used in World War II for gas helmets. And then he, you know, we had the, somebody else in, developed the, um, oh, the street light, you know, red, uh, red green stop. But, but there were accidents in the intersections because people didn't know when to stop. They didn't know when the green light was going to turn red. And he figured out, okay, have a, an intermediate light, the yellow caution light. That was his invention. And then he, he, he uh, moved to Wakeman, Ohio, and started a uh, newspaper and one of the first black golf course, uh, um, like a, you know, a, a country club for black people, because they weren't allowed, of course, in any of the others. So I def- he definitely. So for yeah. your Cleveland Hall, Hall of Fame, you've got in uh, Garrett Morgan and Sister Henrietta. Yeah, and I, I would also that, put uh, obviously two worthy picks. Yeah, Franz Wilser Moose too. I love him, and he's so good. And I he, he isn't from Cleveland, but he he has made his mark. So those are my Hall of Famers. Thank you very much, Louise. Yeah, thank you. Loganberry Books is open to the public Tuesday through Saturday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. You can order books from us at store.loganberrybooks.com with specific links to the books discussed in this episode in the description. You can also order from us by calling the store directly at 216-795-9800 or emailing books at logan.com with your specific requests. You can support us by purchasing through our affiliate pages on bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash Loganberry Books, loganberry.papertrail.com for digital ebooks, or on libro.fm for all your audiobook needs. Join our listener support program, where you can donate as little as 99 cents a month, less than $12 a year, to help keep this podcast going. Again, all of these options will be linked in the description below. This episode of Lines from Loganberry was produced and edited by Margie Adams. Be sure to tune in next week for more bookish content, and thanks for listening.